This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's Jodrell Bank Center for Astrophysics. For the full show and archives, visit jodcast.net. The night sky for June 2018. Well, to be frank, we don't have very much dark sky, do we, this month? You've either got to stay up very late or get up very, very early in the morning. But nevertheless, there are some nice things to see, as I hope I'll be able to show you. Well, as darkness falls, that rather nice constellation of Leo, with its bright star Regulus, is setting towards the west. And just to the west of Denebola, the star right at the back of Leo, his tail I suppose, is that lovely region, the realm of the galaxies. I was at a dark site in Anglesey at the weekend and I was able to image Virgo A, M87, and also what's called Macarian's chain, which is quite a nice thing to look for if you have a reasonably large telescope. The bright star you'll see in the south is Arcturus in Bootes. Just to the left of that, a little circlet is called Corona Borealis. And then we have a nice region I'll come back to, including the constellation of Hercules. And then we know it's summer, because rising in the east is what is called the Summer Triangle. The bright star Altair in Aquila the Eagle. Up to its right, we have Vega in the small constellation of Lyra. And up to its left is Deneb, the brightest star in Cygnus the Swan. And those three stars make up what is called the Summer Triangle. There is a dark region of the Milky Way called the Cygnus Rift that lies along in this region. If you, with binoculars, start at Altair and work your way about a third of the way to Vega, you come across the rift and you might well see a little asterism there. It's called Brocky's Cluster, but often known as the Coat Hanger, because it looks a little bit like an upside-down coat hanger. Up and a bit to the west is the constellation Ursa Major, which includes the plough, known by the Americans as the Big Dipper. And that was because it was a sort of a ladle that was used to ladle out the soup to the farm workers as they came in for lunch. So although there aren't many hours of darkness, there are some nice constellations to see. Well, what about the planets? Well, Jupiter. Jupiter reached opposition on May the 8th. So it'll be visible during the evening after darkness has fallen. That's quite late, of course. It shines at magnitude minus 2.5, falling to minus 2.3 during the month. It has a disk some 44 arc seconds across, again dropping slightly to 41.5. Jupiter's equatorial bands, and sometimes the great red spot, can be visible on its disk, along with up to four of the Galilean moons. For that, of course, you'll need a small telescope. Sadly, Moving slowly westwards in Libra during the month, Jupiter is heading towards the southern part of the ecliptic and will only have an elevation of around 20 degrees when crossing the meridian. As a result, atmospheric dispersion will hinder our view. And it might be worth considering the purchase of what's called the ZWO Atmospheric Dispersion Corrector, which can counteract its effects. Now Saturn. Saturn comes into opposition on the 27th of June, so it will be visible during all 
the few hours of darkness. Its disk has an angular size of just over 18 arc seconds, and its brightness increases slightly from plus 0.2 to plus 0.0 magnitudes as the month progresses. The rings were at their widest some months ago, but still at 25.7 degrees to the line of sight, well open and spanning about two and a half times the size of Saturn's globe. Lying in Sagittarius, close to the topmost star of the teapot, it will only reach an elevation of just over 15 degrees above the horizon as it crosses the meridian. And again, atmospheric dispersion will hinder our view, as well, of course, as the thickness of the atmosphere we're looking through. Now Mercury. Mercury passes behind the Sun, that's called superior conjunction, on the 5th stroke 6th of June, but will become visible at around magnitude minus 0.7, low in the west after sunset by mid-month. By the end of its month, its magnitude will have dropped to minus 0.2, but it will then set about one and a half hours after the Sun and have an angular diameter of 6.5 arc seconds. Its greatest elongation west of the Sun is actually next month on the 12th of July. Mars lies in Capricornus. It begins its retrograde motion westwards on the 28th of June as it moves towards its closest approach to Earth since 2003 in about two months' time. It rises around midnight BST at the start of the month and around 10.30pm by month's end. Its magnitude increases somewhat from minus 1.2 to minus 2.1 and has an angular size of 15.3 arc seconds. That was the largest it's ever got at the last apparition, which increases to 20.7 arc seconds by the end of the month. So with a small telescope, it'll be possible to spot details such as Certis Major on its salmon pink surface. Again, is down towards the bottom part of the ecliptic, it will only reach an elevation of 14 degrees before dawn. So again, the atmosphere will hinder our view. Well, you can't have missed, I think, Venus in the last few weeks. It's now dominating the western sky after sunset, shining brightly at magnitude minus 3.9. has an angular size of 13 arc seconds, which gradually increases to 15 arc seconds as the month progresses. It rises a little higher in the sky during June, initially setting about two and a half hours after sun, a little less by month's end, as its elevation after sunset remains at around 20 degrees. Venus starts the month in Gemini, not far below and to the left of Pollux, but passes into Cancer on the 11th, when on the 19th and 20th it lies close to M44, the beehive cluster. Well, finally, the highlights of the month. June is a great month to view Jupiter. It came into opposition on May the 8th, and we were visible in the south in the late evening. As I said earlier, it's moving down the ecliptic and now lies in Libra, and will only reach an elevation of 20 degrees as it crosses the meridian. An interesting observation is that the great red spot appears to be diminishing in size. At the beginning of the last century, it spanned some 40,000 kilometres across. 
but now appears to be only about 16,500 kilometers across, less than half the size. The shrinking rate appears to be accelerating, and observations indicate it's now reducing in size by about 580 miles per year. Will it eventually disappear? Now, one nice thing, some years ago, one could barely see the great red spot. It just looked like a depression without much color, but I've imaged it recently, and the red spot is now very prominent and a lovely orange-red, sort of brick-red color. Um, if you go into my Astronomy Digest, either just put in Astronomy Digest into Google or get to it from the Night Sky page, which I'll mention later, then I have an article about the imaging I've done this last month in May. And although the images aren't great, they're not going to be when Jupiter is so low. Nevertheless, it does show up the red spot very well. June's a nice month to find the globular cluster in Hercules and spot what's called a double-double in Lyra. They're two nice objects to spot with binoculars in the eastern sky well after dark this month, which means staying up to around midnight. Two-thirds of the way up the right-hand side of the four stars that make up the keystone in the constellation Hercules is M13, the best globular cluster in the northern sky. It looked like a little fuzzy blob in binoculars. Moving eastwards towards Lyra, one will see the bright star Vega. And just to its lower left is a multiple star system called Epsilon Lyrae, often called the Double Double. With binoculars, a binary star is seen. But when observed with a telescope, each of these two stars is revealed to be a double star. Hence the name. And another thing that June is a very good time to observe. These are called noctilucent clouds. They're also known as polar mesopheric clouds and are commonly seen in the deep twilight towards the north from our latitude in the UK. They are the highest clouds in the atmosphere at heights of around 80 kilometers or 50 miles. Normally, they're too faint to be seen. But they are visible in June when illuminated by sunlight from below the northern horizon, whilst the lower parts of the atmosphere are in shadow. They're not fully understood and appear to be increasing in frequency, brightness and extent. And some think that might be due to climate change. So, on a clear dark night, as light is draining from the northwestern sky long after sunset, take a look to the north, and you might just spot them. They do look rather lovely, actually. So, just some really conjunctions between the planets and the moon. On June the 1st, at around 2am, Saturn is close to a waning gibbous moon. Actually, quite a nice photo opportunity. And then on June the 3rd, at around 2.30 a.m., Mars will be seen close to a waning gibbous moon. A bit easier to spot. On June the 8th, after sunset, Venus can be seen to the lower left of Pollux in Gemini. And on the 16th, after sunset, it'll be visible with a very thin crescent moon. You will probably need to use binoculars or a telescope to spot the moon. So after sunset, if it's clear, you have a chance to see that. And you may be able to see, as we actually saw um, in the basically the crescent of the moon a few days ago, what's called Earthshine.
which is the darker part, the unilluminated by the sun part of the moon, which is illuminated by light reflected from clouds in the Earth's atmosphere. It's called Earthshine, and that's a rather lovely thing to see. On June the 28th, 2.30 a.m., again, you've got to stay up very late or get up very early, you will see Saturn down to the lower left of the full moon. Again, that would actually make quite a nice photo opportunity. They are quite close. I usually say something about the moon, and on January the 22nd stroke 23rd, there are two good nights to observe the two great lunar craters, Tycho and Copernicus, because on those nights the Terminator is quite close. Tycho is towards the bottom of the moon in a densely cratered area called the Southern Lunar Highlands. It's a relatively young crater, about 108 million years old, and is thought to have been formed by the impact of one of the remnants of an asteroid that gave rise to the asteroid Baptistina. And it is thought that another asteroid originating from the same breakup may well have caused the Chicxulub crater, that's off the coast of Mexico, some 65 million years ago. Tycho has a diameter of 85 kilometers and is nearly 5 kilometers deep. And its floor is very rough with boulders. In fact, when I first came to Jodrell Bank, I studied the lunar surface by radar and it sticks out like a sore thumb. At full moon, the rays of material that were ejected when it was formed can be seen arcing across the surface. In contrast, Copernicus is about 800 million years old and lies in the eastern part of Oceanus Procolarum, beyond the end of the Apennine Mountains. It's 93 kilometers wide and nearly 4 kilometers deep and is a classic terrace crater. And both can be seen with binoculars. So, although the nights are not long, I do hope you have a chance to look at the night sky. Thanks for that, Ian. And for our Antipodean listeners, here's Gabby Perez with the night sky where you are. Kia ora. Gabriela Perez here from Space Place at the Carter Observatory in Wellington. Um, it's certainly getting colder down here in the Southern Hemisphere as we approach the winter months. But the good news is that we'll have plenty of opportunities to look at our southern skies with all these extra hours of nighttime. June is also an incredible month for planet viewing. So mid-month brings on the winter solstice on the 21st of June, bringing on the longest night and the shortest day. This will also mean the sun will be at its lowest elevation for the year. The beginning of the month will see the last of our summer constellations very low in the western sky. Um, along with Sirius, the brightest true star, which will twinkle in the early evening if it's found quite close to the horizon. This twinkling occurs as the star's light will be dispersed if the atmosphere is denser nearing the horizon, and we'll see a bit of the separation of color. Now, rising in the east are some of our winter constellations, such as Scorpius and Sagittarius. We don't have scorpions here in New Zealand, so Scorpius is seen as the fishhook of Maui with its bloody bait, the Red Star Antares. So um, Maui was responsible for fishing out the North Island here in New Zealand, and his fish hook was used to do so. He used so much force that it was flung into the skies where it is forever um, commemorating this event as this constellation 
which the rest of the world knows as Scorpius. So following Scorpius is Sagittarius, and the zone between them is Sagittarius A, and this marks the heart of our Milky Way. Winter in the Southern Hemisphere is a really great time to see this bulge in our Milky Way, and it is in the zone that astronomers believe to be a supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy, helping it hold it together. The first planet that will be visible in the sky before the sun has fully set is our evening star, Venus. It will be visible in the northwest in the constellation of Gemini, and it will set about an hour before the sun does. The next bright planet will be Jupiter in the east in the constellation of Libra and will remain in our skies until dawn. At about 9pm at the beginning of the month, we will see the rise in the southeast of the ringed planet Saturn. Um, obviously, it will rise earlier and earlier each day. The end of the month, we'll see it rising at about 7pm. And this will be found in the constellation of Sagittarius. Um, I hope everyone keeps warm and enjoys our beautiful southern skies and enjoys these extra hours of night to understand more about what's going on up above.